0: Okay, so the first reading comes from Exodus 30, um, starting in verse 11 and going to verse 16. So if you have a Bible from the foyer, it's on page 91. All right, so starting in verse 11. Then the Lord said to Moses, when you take a census of the Israelites to count them, each one must pay the Lord a ransom for his life at the time he is counted. Then no plague will come on them when you number them. Each one who crosses over to those already counted is to give half a shekel, according to the sanctuary shekel, which weighs 20 gerahs. This half shekel is an offering to the Lord. All who cross over, those 20 years older or more, are to give an offering to the Lord. The rich are not to give more than half a shekel, and the poor are not to give less when you make the offering to the Lord to atone for your lives." Receive the atonement money from the Israelites and use it for the service of the Tent of Meeting. It will be a memorial for the Israelites before the Lord, making atonement for your lives.
1: The second reading comes from Matthew chapter 17 and it can be found on page 1027 of the Church Bible, beginning at verse 22. When they came together in Galilee, he said to them, The Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. They will kill him and on the third day he will be raised to life and the disciples will fill with grief. After Jesus and his disciples arrived in Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma tax came to Peter and asked, Doesn't your teacher pay the temple tax? Yes, he does, he replied. When Peter came into the house, Jesus was the first to speak What do you think, Simon? he asked. From whom do the kings of the earth collect duty and taxes? From their own sons or from others? From others, Peter answered. Then the sons are exempt, Jesus said to him. But so that we may not offend them, them, go to the lake and throw out your line. Take the first fish you catch, open its mouth and you will find a four drachma coin. Take it and give it to them. For my tax and yours.
2: Go to the lake, and throw out your line. Take the first fish you catch, open its mouth, and you will find a four drachma coin. This is a bizarre miracle, don't you think? The uh, the right coin in the right fish at the right time. And you want to ask, how does Jesus do this to manage to get that right coin and the right fish at the right time and make sure Peter catches it? And perhaps a little more importantly, why does he use his power to do this? Well, they might be the questions you come to as you read this passage here tonight, but I want you to drop them. I don't want you to be distracted by that question. The centre of this passage is not the fish. It's not the coin. It's not even the tax. Not surprisingly, the centre, the focus, the message, the theme, the important thing in this passage is none of those things. It's Jesus. It's seeing Jesus' glory. It's seeing our privilege so that we might have a faith in a bigger Jesus. Have it open in front of you, page 1027, and the outline's going to help you tonight. The presenting issue, the thing that comes up, is about tax, isn't it? Verse 24. After Jesus and his disciples arrived in Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma tax came to Peter and asked, doesn't your teacher pay the temple tax? No one likes paying tax, and so governments are always keen to find some way to justify tax and convince us. So I went to the website of the Australian Tax Office and to see what they might put on their website to convince you. Working for all Australians, they say. In Caesarea in the Middle East when I was there, I saw in the tax collecting booth, they had it there in a mosaic, beautiful thing, on the floor they had a Bible verse. A Bible verse to encourage you to make sure you pay the right amount of tax. Romans 13, rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from the fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right and he will commend you. I reckon the Australian tax office should have that, don't you think? Puts the fear of God into you as you pay your tax. The Bible does say that you should pay to the government what's owing them. Matthew 22, Jesus gets asked a question about paying tax to Caesar. He says very clearly, give unto Caesar what is Caesar's. And give to God what is God's. Christians, you should pay tax, even to a government as bad as Caesar's. But that has got nothing to do with tonight's passage. Matthew 17 is not about giving to Caesar what is Caesar's. Do you see what this tax is? It's the two drachma tax, the T-D-T. And it's not to Caesar. This comes out of Exodus thirteen, which was our uh, Exodus thirty, sorry, which was our first Bible reading tonight. God's people had just been brought out of Egypt. He gave them the law, and they were to have a, a, a tent like a temple amongst them, for God was to dwell amongst them, and they were to give. On top of just giving 10% of all that they could grow, on top of bringing their animal sacrifices, they were to also bring an offering to God for the service of the temple. It was to the Lord, this offering. It was for the tent. This is not giving to Caesar what is Caesar's. This is giving to God what is God's. And so when Jesus' hometown temple tax collectors come to him in verse 24 and they say, doesn't your teacher pay the temple tax? Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, has no hesitation. Yes, he does. He must have just not done it quite yet, I guess. He must do because Jesus is a Jew. He's a law-abiding Jew. He would surely give God what is God's. Yes, he does, says Peter. But Jesus thinks that Peter should have known better. Verse 25, when Peter came into the house, Jesus was the first to speak. What do you think, Simon Peter? He asked. It's one of those leading questions, isn't it? Like when one of my smaller children asks me a question and I think they probably actually know the answer to this question. They just need to think it through a little. So instead of saying, why don't you Google it, which is my response if I don't know the answer, this time if I think they know the answer, I'll say, what do you think? and help them to think it through. Jesus thinks that Peter already knows the answer to this question, and the answer is not yes. So to help him think it through, he asks him a bizarre question. What do you think, Simon? He asked. From whom do the kings of the earth collect duty and taxes? From their own sons or from others? Well, this is a no-brainer for Peter, though we might think that's it's only fair that the son of the king pay taxes too. He gets to drive on the road just like everyone else. He should pay for it, we would think, especially as Australians. In the ancient world, the taxes that you paid were really for the king to fight some wars and to make his family rich. So what's the point of his family paying taxes? It just goes to them anyway. The sons of the king do not pay taxes. And so Peter, no-brainer, verse 26, just as quick in his answer, from others. But what's the point of that? What's the connection with the question about your teacher paying the temple tax? Well, it's in the question. Doesn't your teacher Pay the temple tax? What do you think, Peter, Jesus says. I've showed you the signs again and again. There were so many signs of my power and who I was that you yourself said, you are the Christ, Jesus, God's King, the Son of the living God. You were there on the mountain when God revealed my glory, says Jesus. Moses and Elijah and my body was transfigured before you. And the voice of God said, this is my son. Doesn't your teacher pay the temple tax? Is that the right question, Peter? What do you think, Peter? Am I your teacher? No. I am God's son. Do the sons pay taxes to their father? Should God's son pay the tax for his father's house? Of course not, Peter. See, Peter still has a little faith, doesn't he? A faith in a little Jesus. He gets Jesus right one minute and gets him wrong the next. What's the challenge here for Peter? What is Jesus saying to Peter? Peter, you've got to think clearly and consistently about who I am and what that means. Especially, Peter, when you're put on the spot by someone, when you're challenged by someone. And that's the same challenge for us, isn't it? We get to see the signs that Jesus did, thanks to Matthew. We get to hear the voice of God about Jesus, this is my son. We know that Jesus is the son of God. And we need to think clearly and consistently about who he is and what that means, especially when we are put on the spot, when we're challenged by someone. Can you imagine the sort of question that someone might ask? Doesn't your teacher... Doesn't he tolerate other religious leaders and think they're worth listening to? Doesn't your teacher accept everyone and want them to be happy in their own way? And we immediately think, yes, he does. Isn't your teacher just one of the religious options? Yes, we want to say. Because it seems undeniable that our teacher would be like that. We want to be accepted and we want to make Jesus acceptable. But what do you think, Jesus would say? Am I your teacher? Is that all I am? A religious leader that you can listen to or not? I am not a little Jesus, Jesus would say. I am the Son of God and you need to think clearly and consistently and say so. Do you see the challenge here for Peter and for us? It's a challenge, isn't it? And it's also an encouragement. The disciples are so encouraging, aren't they? They take one step forward and two steps back constantly. They have a little faith, a faith in the little Jesus. They get it wrong again and again. And we look at the disciples and it's like looking in the mirror, isn't it? We see ourselves. We fail to think clearly and consistently they are just like us and Jesus is patient with them. Jesus is educating Peter here. He's teaching them, he loves them, and in the end he can use them. Isn't that encouraging for you and I? This two drachma tax is for God's house. And so Peter should have known that God's son doesn't need to pay it. But, verse 27, he chooses to pay it to serve others. But so that we may not offend them, says Jesus, go to the lake and throw out your line. Take the first fish you catch, open its mouth and you will find a four drachma coin. Take it and give it to them for my tax and yours. It is a bizarre miracle. The right coin and the right fish at the right time. Could Jesus really have done this? Well, of course he could have. Do you think this miracle is any harder than any of the other miracles that he did? Feed the 5,000 with two loaves and five fish. Raise someone from the dead. I think that's a little harder than getting a coin in a fish's mouth at the right time, isn't it? Of course he could do this miracle. Don't get stuck on the miracle. What is the point of this miracle, though? It wasn't to show the crowds. They didn't see it. It wasn't to show the tax collectors. They didn't see it. In a sense, it's not even to show us. We don't get to see it. Do you notice that? Jesus just tells him. It was for Peter's benefit. Jesus is educating Peter. He wants him to see clearly that he, Jesus, is the powerful son who doesn't need to pay, but chooses to pay so that he may not offend them. That he may not offend the tax collectors who don't understand who Jesus is, so that they won't reject him and refuse to listen to him simply because he hasn't paid a tax. A tax, they don't get it. So he wants to serve them. Do you see how unusual, how unexpected Jesus is as a king? The kings of the ancient world made the laws, they didn't obey them. And religious leaders down through the centuries again and again had one law for other people and another law for themselves. Do you know Muhammad made a law in the Quran about how many wives you could have? Four. Three too many, I reckon. But do you know how many wives Muhammad himself had? Eleven. For he said that God had told him that was the right number for him. One law for other people, another law for himself. What does Jesus do? He is a king who submits to the Old Testament law. He fulfills it. And even the part of the law that should not apply to him because he's a son, a part of the law that he has every right to ignore, he does. In order to serve God others. He gives up his rights to serve others. That's worth paying attention to in our society, isn't it? Because our society is all about rights. Stand on your rights. You have a right to privacy, you have a right to services from the government, you have a right to a refund if you don't like the product that you've bought, you have a right to have me time during your week. When we come to church we actually think, don't we if we're honest, that we have a right for the music to be the sort of music that I like, for the style of service to be the style of service that I like. And when we're trying to commit, connect with non-Christians, we think we have a right to be just the sort of person that I am. I don't need to try and fit in with them. I don't need to bend over backwards to help them to get to know Jesus. We're all about rights. Jesus knew what his rights were. And he deliberately, explicitly, did not demand them. He gave them up to serve others. He did not come to be served, but to serve. The question when you read this passage, especially verse 27, is not how on earth did Jesus get the right coin and the right fish at the right time and get Peter to catch it. That's irrelevant, isn't it? What is the question you should be asking after verse 27? How can I give up my rights here at church and at home and with non-Christians? How can I give up my rights to serve others? That's the question we should be asking. Jesus is the powerful son who doesn't need to pay, but he chooses to pay to serve others. But there's a second reason. A second reason that Jesus doesn't need to pay this tax. When you read Exodus 30, it's not just that this tax is for God, is for God's house. This tax has a meaning, a significance, a reason why God's people needed to pay it. You see it there in your outline. It is a ransom for your life. A ransom is a payment, a payment to someone to deliver you, to rescue you. It's to make atonement for your lives, says Exodus 30. For the law made clear the wages of sin is death. And so each person needed to be ransomed from the wages of sin is death. They needed to be bought out of death. That's why there were sacrifices and on top of the sacrifices, there was this little token tax. And as you paid the tax, you recognized that you belonged to sin and death and you needed to be ransomed, paid for, redeemed. And so Jesus says, what do you think, Peter? Doesn't your teacher pay the ransom tax? Doesn't he pay for his sin and ransom himself out of death? What do you think, Peter? You've seen me keep the law. You've seen me resist temptation. You've seen me live a holy life like no one else. Doesn't your teacher pay the ransom tax? Is that the right question? No. Doesn't God's innocent son pay the ransom tax? That's the question, and the answer's obvious. Of course not, Peter. But just as Jesus chose not to offend them, to serve them by paying the tax, he did something bigger, didn't he? Paying this two drachma tax, a small amount of money, especially money that seemed to belong to a fish, is a small price to pay by Jesus, isn't it? But it points to something else, don't you see? If this is a ransom tax, then this is pointing to Jesus paying the ransom. Is that here in this passage? Can you really show me that here in this passage, Sean? Yes, Have a look at verse 22, it's right there. The wages of sin is death, and what is Jesus going to do for others? The Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. They will kill him, and on the third day he will be raised to life. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus is the innocent son who chooses to die to ransom others. On the 24th of March last month, in a supermarket in a small town in France, a terrorist claiming to be aligned with ISIS walked in and took those in the supermarket hostage. The police were called, a, uh, a siege was established, two hostages were killed. The police managed to negotiate with this terrorist to release most of the hostages, but there was one left, a woman and a police officer my age named Arno beltrane made an extraordinary offer he offered to take the place of this final hostage. My life for hers, he said. I will risk my life as a ransom. The terrorist agreed and the hostage was set free. The police officer, rather cleverly, had his phone on and a line connected and left it that way on the counter of the supermarket so that his fellow police officers could hear what was going on and would know to storm the supermarket if things got out of hand. They could hear what was going on and so when they heard the four gunshots, they went in. They went in and shot the terrorist. But by that time, Arnaud train had already been shot four times and stabbed in the throat. He died a short time later. He died as a ransom. A ransom to save the life of someone else. So it was that Jesus was the innocent Son of God who did not need to pay the ransom of all people of all time. He was the one who did not deserve to die. And he chose to serve others by paying the tax, a little thing, but that points to the big thing, the real thing. He died to ransom the guilty. He died to ransom you and I. Do you see that? when you see Jesus' glory. And not only did he ransom us from sin and death, he did something extraordinary for us that's here yet again in this passage. He ransomed us from sin and death and set us free and adopted us as sons of God. There's something curious here. When Jesus tells his illustration about the kings and their sons and paying taxes, he goes the plural. Did you notice that? From whom do the kings of the earth collect duty and taxes? From their own sons or from others? Why not have to have one son in the story? After all, he's one son. But maybe that's just a quirk of the story. Verse 26, from others, Jesus says, then the sons... Are exempt but so that we may not offend them plural Jesus and Peter go to the lake and throw out your line take the first fish you catch open its mouth and you will find a four drachma coin take it and give it to them for my tax and yours why is the coin double the amount of the tax Why does he say again and again, we, my tax and yours? Because Jesus is dying to ransom others. And when he ransoms others, they too will become sons of God and will not need to pay the tax. Do you see the verse there on your outline from Galatians? God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law, that we might receive the full rights of sons. Don't be distracted in this passage by the fish by the coin, even by the tax. That's not what it's about, is it? It's about Jesus, that he is the powerful son who doesn't need to pay the tax, but does to serve others. He is the innocent son who doesn't need to die, but will die to ransom others. Can you see Jesus' glory here? And can you see our great privilege? Jesus serves others, he ransoms others, so that they too would become sons of God. Can you see his glory? And can you see our great privilege? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we praise you for your Son. Your Son, who is not just our teacher, but your Son, your King, the powerful son who did not need to pay this tax but chose to because he chooses to serve others, to give up his rights. We pray that we might be like that. Father, we praise you for your innocent son who willingly chose to give his life as a ransom for ours. Father, help us more and more to have faith in a big Jesus as we see his glory.